Good morning, Church on the Rock. All right, all right. I know, I know I paused a bit there. I, I need the volume back just to, uh, okay, come on. Good morning, Church on the Rock. Oh, it's good to hear all your voices, and welcome to those who are online and uh, watching us from home. Well, that probably won't do to have my notes uh, falling on the ground. The, the sermon will be cut in half. All right, so I, uh, I, I uh, uh, thank you so much for coming. I, good to see so many people here, and uh, I hope you're uh, ready for some good worship. Thank you, worship team. What a worship set. I've already met God in that uh, whole thing about the hymn of heaven and uh, reflecting on, on, on him. Well, let's dig into God's word. Let's dig into God's word because there's a lot here that we're going to go over. And we're going to ask that the Holy Spirit would come and uh, speak to us. And he would be our teacher today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, who you are and what you do. You are great and awesome. And someday we will gather with the throngs that have walked with you throughout their lives. The ones who prayed out in desperation to you and you came and met them. And age to age, we will gather before your throne and it would have been all worth it, God. And for these small moments that you allow us to be on this planet, allow us to be able to be strong in you and to listen for the mission that you give each one of us in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, I've already received tons of feedback on this series of resilience. It seems to be a striking a chord. Somebody, uh, somebody sent me a, uh, a little clip that CBC is doing a series on resilience. They said uh, the CBC series is entitled, How to Build Resilience When There's No End in Sight. And I go, yeah, that's, that sort of feels like, uh, like what, we, uh, what presses in on us. There is no end in sight. Uh, even before the pandemic, even before the pandemic, there was, uh, I, I, I understood that there's just such a huge rise in mental, uh, mental illness, mental distractions to just fight against our souls as we're depending more and more on social media to be able to give us comfort and we re realize it's empty, it's not able to give us comfort. Already there is such a huge rise and then in the middle of our pandemic, it's just, it's just multiplying like crazy and we need to become resilient people. The APA uh, describes resilience this way. Psychologists def define resilience as a process of adapting well in the face of adversity. And we all are facing adversity, aren't we? Trauma. And I know some of you here are going through tremendous trauma. I know many at home that can't be here. It's the reason why you can't be here is because you are in the middle of a traumatic experience. Uh, and not only that, threats and significant sources of stress, which we all feel. The articles are many. The articles about resilience are many. And their suggestions are legion. <laughs> and and, and I, I read this one article. This is, this is how we build resilience, all right? Join a group. Go for a walk. Practice mindfulness. Eat well. Be proactive. Keep things in perspective. Accept change. Be hopeful. Learn from the past. Isn't that helpful? <laughs> I think each one of those things is monumentous. Each one of those things was, I don't, I don't have the, the strength within myself to be able to help myself. And so sometimes self-help doesn't really help because I don't have that power within myself to do that. So when hope is beaten out of you, how do you actually build resilience in your life? 
Somebody told me this week, I feel like I should be given the Medal of Honor for get, getting out of bed. <laughs> and I know some of you feel that way so much. So what is God's unique perspective on building resilience? And I ask God, who in the Bible would represent somebody that is a resilient person? And, and the more and more I read his life, I go, Joseph, he is such a resilient person. You realize all that he's gone through, and yet he seems to bounce back and do well. It's interesting. Life is fundamentally difficult. We looked at things, two things last week. We, we sort of reset our expectations. Life is hard. God is good. People create these giant-sized boxes that will never be filled. This one of, one of the, uh, the counselors told me this. He said what, sometimes his, uh, his clients come in, and they have these huge expectations about what life should be. And he said they, they have these boxes that they try and fill things in, and they realize how empty their box is because they have huge, huge boxes. And life is fundamentally difficult. This is what our story, the Christian story, tells us that. We're in a fallen world. We're in a, a war zone. And it is hard. It is hard. I uh, talked uh, last week about a trainer, a, a coaching trainer. <clears throat> and, uh, and she drew a diagram. She drew a diagram that said, listen, uh, at five to one, we all have this need for safety. We all have this need for safety. God put this into us. God put this into us because, uh, <laughs> you know, at the beginning of, of, of the world, you can see a rainbow or you can see a tiger, and they're both there, the rainbow and the tiger, and God wanted to make sure that the, the tiger sort of trump the rainbow, okay, just so we don't get eaten by the tiger. So that's okay. It's okay to have some levels of fear, appropriate levels of fear, to be safe, to protect yourself, and to be able to have appropriate levels of fear. But what happens when you're in a culture where the culture keeps on screaming, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. Oh, if you're not afraid enough, let me give you more things. To, guess what? There's an asteroid that's going to hit us now. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. There's more things to fear that we can have nothing, no control over. Can we have a control over that? No. But guess what we can do? We can be afraid. Isn't that awesome? And so to live in this sort of, this press of fear causes this fog in our lives where we can barely get up, where we can barely sort of move. And for some of you have gone through trauma that, that have been deeply hurt, this fog just freezes your life. And you're just stuck. You're just stuck. So last week we asked the question, what does the Bible teach us about fear? What does the Bible teach us about fear? How do we, how do we sort of move past this thing? Uh, how do we move past this thing? And the Bible always links this one phrase that we found out was in Joseph's life, which is, I think, so uh, is not it's not a coincidence. It's linked to scripture again and again. I'm going to jump ahead in the notes a bit to Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. I'm just going to give you a couple scriptures that, that, that will point out this link between fear and the phrase that was in Joseph's life. I am with you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Here it is. Uh, Isaiah 41 10. Do not fear. There's the fear piece. Do not fear. For So what's your solution, God? For I am with you. Do not be dismayed. This is Hebrew poetry parallelism. They're repeating it. 
Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. It's not just that he's with you. That's nice to know God's with you, but he's active. He's active. What's he going to do? He will strengthen you, and we're going to talk about that strength today. He will help you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I'm going to actually help you. Uh, I, could, I could give you verse after verse. I'm, let me give you one more just to show you there's a link all through scriptures. Isaiah 1.9. And those of us who memorize scripture, these are probably both on your memory, uh, on your memory list. Isaiah 1.9. Have I not commanded you? This is Joshua. He's going into the land. He's about to do battle. Is, does he have things to fear about? Yes. Are they real things? Yes, these aren't imagined. Can he do something about it? Yes. So these are real fears that I, I would have fear going into a battle with a sword and facing eye to eye somebody else. And so God says this, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. There it is again. Do not be afraid. And you say, okay, God, I'm about to meet somebody with a sword and I've got one too. How am I not to be afraid? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. <clears throat> For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. There's that fear versus God being with you. He helps you. I, I had an experience like that uh, myself. Uh, and I, I won't draw the story out too long. But let's just say I had a terrible time flying at one time. Uh, it was the worst time I've ever experienced. I was uh, flying from Winnipeg to Toronto. Uh, later, I discovered that the Toronto airport was closed down because of high winds. I even heard on the news that, uh, that some uh, high-rise windows had been busted out by the wind. So that, that's sort of how it was. And they didn't even tell us we we're going to go through turbulence. You just, saw, you just saw the flight attendants run, buckle in, and then we started to head down. And I, I turned to the person next to me and said, that doesn't look good. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the plane started to fall. And it was fun because the, the, the kids around us, there were was, was some teenagers, and they thought it was like a, a roller coaster ride. So they started this. This is exactly how it went. Woo! Right? It's just falling down. Like, Woo! But, but it lasted enough that it sounded like this. And it sort of turned from excitement into true terror. And we saw the houses coming up. Uh, somebody near me screamed out at the top of her lungs, I don't want to die. So that's sort of this, the, this, the feeling in the plane. You think at this moment I would stand up and give the gospel. <laughs> Come to him and repent. <laughs> I was holding on to the seat in front of me trying not to barf. Anyway, so... He just, the pilot just kicked in the engines and we flew up all, up over the clouds again. And we're all, you can, you could, could, you could hear the first person throw up. It, and, and it was multiple, I th believe everybody in the plane did. I did three times. Anyway, so we decided another time, the same thing happened. And the plane was rocking back and forth and the lights were turning on and off. I won't make it any longer. We, we bounced on the tarmac, came to a, a, a still, and still the plane was shaking. The wind was so strong when we were full stop. Was I terrorized? Yes. Yes. I still remember the flight attendant coming down the center aisle collecting everybody barf bag. <laughs> the bag was huge. Just collecting it. And the stench was just beautiful. It just triggered everyone else. I was scheduled to fly again in two weeks to Winterpeg. 
I remember getting on that flight just full of fear, going, I don't want to be here. Talking about trauma, I don't want to be here, but I want to speak. I don't want to be here. And so I asked God for strength. I asked God for strength. And I got on. I was on the window seat uh, up near the front. I was going, okay, God, you got to help me. you got to help me. And there's these two big Jamaican guys coming down the aisles. I mean big. Like we're talking twice, maybe two and a half times my size. And they're, just, and they're laughing loud. And they're, <laughs> they're coming down. And I'm thinking, they're going to sit beside me. They're so going to sit beside me. No one. And they did. And they did. And so as they spilled over to the seats beside me, I was up against the wall. And I figure at least I have a good pad when the plane crashes. And then I heard them talk about the Lord. The Lord. There's something in me. Just hearing these two men so excited about God. And I leaned over and I said, you two must be Christians. I'm a Christian too. And the man next to me, you know what? He, I can't give the accent. I wish I could. He laughs. He says, <laughs> I know we could sense the spirit of God on you. And then I just spilled out, I'm so afraid to fly. I think I'm going to die. Next time. You know how that goes, right? Free counseling. And he said something. He said, you are a called man. God will use you until he is done. But until that time, he is with you. (laughs) I smile. You know what was weird? The fear was gone. The Lord was with me. I just need to be reminded of that. That, by the way, is why sometimes we ask God to give words, thoughts, and pictures to each other. Because there might be somebody here at church that needs to hear that. And God will tap you on the shoulder to give that to them. We know theologically God is with us. But to know that God is with us. God is with me. God is with me. And that, that deals with my fears. So what else is God's unique message to us who are believers about resilience? Well, we're, we're going to look at the, the passage I read, Genesis 39. I'm going to just remind us of verses 2 to 4. And the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived, uh, lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And his, when his master saw that the Lord was with them, that the Lord had given him success in everything he did, jo- Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted into his care everything he owned. Now, Joseph found that he was a slave. He had no rights. He had no pay, no property. He had no future. He didn't know the end of the story. All he knew was the story that was in. What would be his reactions? Could you imagine being put as a slave from favored son to slave? What would your reaction be? I got to get out of here. I'm going to find a way to escape. Work you want me to work? (laughs) I'm going to try and work as little as I can in order just to be able to get by because this is so unfair. (coughs) Angry bitterness. 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 By the way, Joseph was uh, a slave or in prison for, get this, 13 years. 
13 years. This is not a small story. And some would say they're kind of the fun years. It's like from 17 to 30. He's in there, locked in, wasting his youth away. No future. Well, what does he do? He lives in the presence of the Lord to the degree that he works as a partner with God. And he becomes successful. That, that little thing about him becoming successful at, with Potiphar is not just God giving him success. I believe everything we do is in partnership with God. Any success we have is God's power and our action. They come together. And so in the same way, he, Joseph decided to work alongside of God's power. And he was successful in everything he did. Genesis 39 Verses 20 to 23. And so uh, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. There he is again. You always think, if God's with me, he wouldn't have let me be in prison. <clears throat> but God showed him kindness and granted favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those things that were held in prison. And he, uh, made, uh, and he was made responsible for all that was done there, and the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. <clears throat> so God was with Joseph. He could sense his presence. He could sense that God was helping him. A strong right arm that he could lean on. But what else did Joseph do? Joseph served God. While he was there, you, we get a little glimpse of Joseph's attitude. We don't, that Joseph was never part of a youth group. He didn't have a written Bible. He, he, they wouldn't have had like services. They would have, you know, sacrifices now and again. <clears throat> they would hear stories of Abraham, Isaac, and then his father would tell him about where, where he saw God. That would, that would be it. But you get a little glimpse of what Joseph, how Joseph felt about God. Pharaoh had two dreams, and the dreams were confirmed about seven cows and, and that were, uh, were fat, and then the skinny ones ate up the fat ones, and the seven uh, big grains of, of heads of grain, and the, and the little ones ate up the, the big ones, and he was talking about seven years of, of bumper crops, seven years of, of, uh, of famine. <clears throat> and in the middle of this, uh, the Pharaoh asked Joseph, what the dreams were in Genesis 41, 15 to 19. And Joseph and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said that you, uh, that, uh, has, but uh, have heard it said of you that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I love this next uh, phrase here. I love this next phrase. Isn't this awesome? It's something we should all learn how to say as Christians. I can't do it. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. I can't do it. Let's all say that together. It just feels good, isn't it? Ready? One, two, three. I can't do it. Amen. Let's go home. No, no. There's more. <coughs> and Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. See how he believed in God. He believed, listen, I can't do anything, but guess what? God can. God, I believe in a bigger God. I believe in a God that can do miracles. I believe in a God that can actually interpret dreams. I can do, I believe that God can do this. So you, you just get the idea of what's going on inside of Joseph. I can't. 
but God can. I can't, but God can. And so he served God. Joseph served God where he was with visions and excellence. Joseph was placed in the power of, uh, position of power with Pharaoh. And guess what he did? He didn't just slough back. He made Pharaoh rich, like filthy rich. Everybody that came to buy the grain, he, they just didn't give it away. This wasn't a, a, a free government thing. He said, Go ahead and have all the grain. No, they had to buy it all. Finally, basically he made Pharaoh so rich, he, just, he owned everything, including the property of the people. Why did he care about Pharaoh so much? Why did he serve Pharaoh so well? He was a victimized slave, yet he made his master successful, unjustly accused prisoner, and he made his jailer successful. He, he was talking to an ungodly king, to an ungodly nation, and yes, he, yet he made Pharaoh successful. I believe, and this is just me, but I believe there's a principle that's found in the Bible that, that Joseph was living out. I believe he wasn't serving Pharaoh. I believe he wasn't serving the jailer. I believe he was not serving Potiphar. I believe all along the way, he was serving his God. This principle is found in the New Testament, Colossians 3, 23 to 24. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Why? So you can get promoted, right? And actually provide for your family. <laughs> Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord and not for human masters. It doesn't matter if you get the promotion. It doesn't matter if you get the raise. It just, you're not working for humans. You're working for God. Why? Why? Because guess when you get the raise? <laughs> it says it here. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. And I believe in my heart, although the passage doesn't say it, he was serving the Lord and not each one of these things. And so when you serve God, and you know God is watching, and God is the one who is rewarding, everything that you do should be done with excellence and passion. Because why? It's not human masters, even abusive human masters, even human masters that are wrong, even human masters that... that they don't care about you. You serve God. I remember my first job as a teenager trying to figure this one out. I hit this passage. It was a song on my radio I would play, you know, as I, my tape cassette player as I played in. Anyway, I went to work for A&P, a grocery store, and I had to get people's groceries out in the back. So I was friendly with them, although I'm an introvert. I did it well, and I, I worked hard. I, I ran hard, and I put it in there because I got the idea. I was serving God. I remember my manager. He was not a nice man. I remember. And this is, you know, he would be, uh, you know, fired now. But, like, I can't. It sounds like such an old person. And, like, back then, it was, he, I remember he came up, and he said, hey, Dave. You're doing a good job, and he slapped me on the cheek. You're doing a good job, Dave. <laughs> Going, thinking now you would so be arrested. But anyway, <laughs> so he was a jerk. But guess what? I wasn't serving the jerk. Isn't that awesome? I was serving Jesus. I was serving Jesus. I love how Martin uh, Luther King uh, Jr. said this, and he was talking to his people, his people, and oppressed people. And I, I hit this in one of his sermons, and it, it, as, as, as uh, Dr. 
uh, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, had, if you hear him speak, it's, it's poetic. It's poetic. I, I won't even try and read it how poetic he, he said it, but I, I have to quote him. He says, if it falls, your lot to be a street sweeper. Sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so, no, so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have a pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. <laughs> Not awesome? Because we don't serve jerks. <laughs> we serve Jesus. That's a takeaway. <laughs> so Joseph served God where he was with vision and excellence. Vision and excellence. I'm, I'm keeping my, my little trainer board here uh, for a reason. The, the arrow trainer that I, I've been talking to you about, where she was talking about how safety is, is sort of uh, five to one. Because there's this internal need in our heart for safety. God put that there. But you know, I also said last week that there are other needs that God had put there. But they're quiet. They're like, they're like the quiet brother. You know if you're in a family with somebody that's loud and then somebody that's quiet, right? The, the safety person gets all the attention. But there's another need in our heart the, the coaching trainer told us. We're all made... For purpose. We're all made for purpose in our lives. We are made to have meaning. And if you live a life with no meaning, you feel empty inside. You feel empty inside. And the only way to get purpose, our arrow trainer said, is to have vision, a real vision of what you're to do. And that vision, and once you get a vision of what to do, there's this, there's this sense of hope that sort of springs up in your heart, that go, I, I think I know what I need to do here. And once you have hope, you have passion and clarity. It's like, no, like, I know what I need to do. Everything becomes clear. Do you remember, remember the, other, the other one with fog at the bottom? With fear, there's fog. With, with, with vision and hope and passion, there's clarity. And once you have clarity of what God wants you to do, then you have energy to do it. But it's the younger brother. It's the little sister that's quiet, it whispers, it whispers, where safety yells at us, be fearful, be fearful. And yet a real need in our heart is to have passion and purpose. Somehow, Joseph tapped into that. Joseph tapped into that. He was able to understand this purpose that he had wherever he was. <clears throat> and let me say this now. This is not the end purpose of your life I'm talking about. This is purpose like today. Like this week. For now. I believe God has purpose for you right now in the middle of the pandemic. Not when the pandemic is over. Not when you graduate, not when you get married, not when you have a full-time job, not when you're financially secure. God has a purpose for you now in the midst of your prison. God has a purpose for you now in the midst of your prison. 
C.S. Lewis uh, wrote uh, an interesting uh, uh, article. Actually, it came from a sermon. And uh, as you know, he was a professor at, uh, actually, at, at, in his uh, tenure over two universities, Oxford and Cambridge. And uh, some people were asking, why should we actually study, right? Come on, students. Why should we study in the midst of the war? And this was written during uh, the Second World War. Why should we study in the midst of the war? And so uh, he had an interesting take on this. And uh, here's a part of the sermon. He says this, if people had postponed the search for knowledge and beauty until they were secure, the search would never have begun. <laughs> we are mistaken when we compare war with normal life. In other words, saying it's wartime. We got to wait till it's normal. Life has never, <laughs> life has never been normal. In other words, you can live your whole life going, well, once things get normalized, I can do, but you know what? Because I, I got I to gotta graduate first. Okay, hold on. No, I got to get a job first. I, hold on. I, I got to get married first. I got to get a house. Oh, I got to pay off my mortgage. I, I got to save up for retirement. It's all going to work out. I got to be financially secure. We always... Life is never normal. There's always something going on that, that distracts us and puts off what God wants us to do at this moment, this now, when you're in prison, when you are in prison, to still serve the Lord with gladness and excellence and passion and say, God, what do you want me to do now? There might be something bigger and greater down the road, but that's okay. I just want to know what you want me to do now. God has a purpose for you now. One of, our, one of our counselors told me this. Uh, she said, resilient people are careful on what they put their attention on. They focus their attention on things they can change, not on things they cannot change. And so now we're going to get down to the shoe leather. How, how is this going to affect our lives? I believe there's two questions. I believe there's two questions we need to ask ourselves. Number one, number one, this prison that you're in, this storm that comes, ask the question, can I change this? Can I change this? Whatever your mind is spinning on, whatever your mind is spinning on. If you can't change it, if you can't change it, if you yourself cannot change it, it is called, the Bible calls that worry. That's the rocking chair of, of life. There's a lot of action, you go nowhere, all right? That's called worry. And you know what the Bible says about worry, right? We pray our way out of worry. That's how, how we deal with worry. That, that's that Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. And so we pray our way out of worry. So can I change this? Can I change? Hold on. If you can change it, if you can change it, guess what? It, it is called fear. It's like, oh, I, I don't want to go and do that job interview. I don't want to actually try and get a job. Oh, I just don't have energy to that. And, and that is God's presence with you. God, fill me with your power. Fill me with your presence so I can do the things I'm fearful of because I can't do this on my own. I can't help myself because myself it, it isn't strong enough to help myself. Your presence with me can help me. So that's number one question. Can I change this? If you're worrying about the world, if you're worrying about so many things, first of all, unplug it all. Unplug it all and go and just pray, God, God, I give this to you. I give my kids to you because I can't stop them from getting sick. I can do all the things I can do, but I'm going to give them into your hands. Listen, I, 
I, I don't even feel like getting a job. But God, you can empower me to do this. Help me to, to look one place today. Give me power. Can, can I change this? Can I change this? And the second thing, the second thing, question I believe we have to ask, how can I serve God in prison? While I am, while life is not perfect, while life is not what I hope it could be, how can I serve you now? It's almost like Joseph saying, well, I can't change the circumstances. I'm stuck being a slave. I'm stuck being a prisoner. I might as well serve God in the midst of my prison. So how can I be amazing where I am now? I believe we start with vision. We start with vision and say, okay, God, give me a vision. Give me hope. Give me a vision for one thing I can do. Give me a vision for one thing I can do. And you know what? I believe God will help you. He'll turn on the light. Uh, one of uh, our dear friends here at, uh, at Church on the Rock, they, uh, they manage a restaurant. The restaurant has been closed, which could throw you all into this, like, wow, what are we going to do? I have to talk to all these people, which is true. But guess what he said? It was, it was brilliant. He said, hey, Dave, restaurant's closed, but guess what? I get to spend more time with my kids. It's almost like he, he, he allowed a bad situation to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do while I'm in prison? I'm going to not just make the best of it. I'm going to ask you to tell me what to do. And in the midst of my prison, I'm going to serve you, God. I'm going to serve you well. As a pastor... And I say, I don't like this. <laughs> I really don't. If I had a choice, this place would be packed twice. We're stuck online. We're stuck with distance. We're awkward. <laughs> and so I'm in a prison. So what do we do? Well, I guess we can't do much. No. God, what do you want us to do now? How can we reach more people? How can more people share this so people on the way to God who have never heard Jesus can hear this? How can our online presence even be greater? And so maybe some people will spend forever in heaven because of the things we're doing online. And praise God we have people that have poured themselves into it because in the midst of our prison... We're serving God well. How can I serve you, God, in the midst of my prison? How can I do that? I love what Paul says in Philippians 3, 13 to 14. But one thing I do, he says, one thing I do, not, not 900 things I dabble in. This is something I have to focus my mind on, he says. Forgetting what's behind. Wow, it was so good though, wasn't it? Forgetting what was behind. Straining forward. Straining towards what is ahead. I still have an ahead. I still have vision. I still have hope for what God wants me to do. I press towards the goal. I work at it in partnership with God to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. At the end of Joseph's stories, his brothers are standing there. They meet each other. We're going to get there next week, but it's kind of fun. This is like a spoiler alert, all right? Spoiler alert. At the end of Joseph's life, his brothers are standing there. These are the people who want to murder him. Murder him. And this is what Joseph said in Genesis 50, ch chapter 50, verse 20. He says, you intended harm uh, to harm me. You intended to harm me. 
But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I, I, I want to understand what that word intended means. And it's, it's a real squishy word in, in Hebrew. And, and so I, I looked up all the various places where that word intended is used in Hebrew. You know, you know what it was used for? It, it was used in the shaping of the tabernacle. They had artists came, come and make pomegranates. And they had artists come and make cherubim. And they intended, they, they worked with metal. They worked with it. They formed it in order to make things of beauty. You intended me harm. You worked with the situation to give me harm. But God shaped it, shaped bad situations for good to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives, something that's outside of yourself, something outside of yourself. God, give me vision for what you want me to do now, what, what people or person can I encourage? What people group can I help? I remember hearing a story of Corey Tenboom, and those of us who are old enough to have read those things, we, she was thrown into a, a, a World War II Nazi concentration camp, and she writes about her experience. She's a wonderful believer, and her sister was there, and her sister started Bible studies in the concentration camp. She was in prison. She did more than survive. She said, God, what do you want me to do in the midst of my prison? In the midst of my prison. So God, how can I serve you in this prison? So lead me to be amazing wherever I am. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up. As they come up, I'm going to ask us to pray. Pray and ask God, what would be the next thing? Is there somebody you would want me to encourage to write a note to, to write a letter to, to take a gift to, to phone up, to just send texts? We can do this so easily now, can't we? Can't we? Even in the middle of service, if you grab out your phone and, 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 and on your phone, I will assume that you're encouraging somebody in Jesus, all right? <laughs> we'll, we'll let that one happen, huh, Johnny? <laughs> oh, man. So let's pray that God would help us serve him while we're in our prison. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. It's alive and so helpful. And God, we cannot help ourselves. This is not self-help. This is you empowering us. So God, give us a vision for what you want us to do. Empower us from inside just to take the first step. And your power will meet us, God. And you will change many lives around us. God use us. God use us in Jesus' name.